0: and we are back on the lift. Lance here. I'm going to start out today's podcast with a quick note that we love getting your calls. Um, we typically take them as voice messages and then we get back to you if you want us to. Let me give you our number. It's 253-260-4577. If you want to go on the air and you think you have something entertaining to say or something informative to say, go ahead and say it and just reference on there that we're free to use it on the air. That'll save us some hassle of getting back to you and so forth. Make sure you say your name. Make sure you leave us a phone number if you want to maybe even be interviewed by us for an upcoming episode. Um, Or if we just want to get more information from you. We always have fun talking to our listeners and getting back to you. Sometimes we'll just do it by text too. But we love your calls. So we look forward to hearing from you. And I think you're really going to enjoy this episode today. We've got A good friend of mine, Chris Mayer, who's going to tell us his his solutions, really, to dealing with the COVID era. And so we'll be right back with you.
1: Thank you for listening to On The Lift Podcast, a Runaway Dumpster production. Live from Greenwater Studios, this is On The Lift Podcast, your weekly show that is ultimately about skiing. This is the show that ducks the rope, earns some turns, dances in ski boots, poaches hot tubs, closes the bar, and still makes it on the first chair. Here's your hosts, two dudes who rip the pow, shred the gnar, and tell the tales, Lance Hester and Michael Gore. And we are back on the lift. Lance
0: here, no mic today. Uh, We have got a good friend of mine, Chris Mayer, um, who is an avid outdoorsman. He has coped with the end of the um, last ski season uh, when the mountain all got shut down. He has jumped right into the uh, newest ski season, the one we're experiencing right now. It's the 30th day of Of uh, December right now and Chris has already got several days in but I am just so stoked to have you on here Chris how you doing
2: I'm doing great Lance thanks
0: great well thank you again for your time Chris let's just uh introduce yourself to our ski to our skiing community that that we talked to on this podcast um why don't you tell us a little bit about you know how you got into skiing and uh we'll get into what you like to do now
2: yeah. So my name is Chris Mayer. I live in Gig Harbor. 53 years old. Uh, family man, three active daughters. Um, my first entree into skiing is quite interesting. Actually, you have to go back to the East Coast where I grew up. Uh, I was in seventh grade, and I was put on a bus after a cast party that my oldest brother was a senior at the time it was in Jesus Christ Superstar. Um, I like at the it high school, was, the
0: high school musical for the Yeah. Them?
2: All right. And I'm in seventh grade and I had my first sip of, I'll call it root beer. Anyway, I had to <laughs> answer the bell, wake up early, get on a bus for the school. Didn't even know how to snowplow. And on um, there's a run there called Fifth Avenue and I would ski 30 yards and just fall down. And then <laughs> near the end of the bottom of the trail, I came too close to the edge and I hit a tree in a rock and then had to get taken down by toboggan by ski patrol. And that's so day that
0: number was, one ever that skiing? That was day number one, yeah. Oh my gosh, that's, that's classic. Oh, geez. So, 40 well, years ago. you're from Massachusetts, right?
2: I uh, was born in Massachusetts and grew up in a little bit New York. And, oh, okay. Uh,
0: York. So you were skiing somewhere in, in upstate New York at that time?
2: Yeah, a lot of upstate New York, a lot of Massachusetts, Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine.
0: Okay, so where was? Do you remember the name of that first mountain that you sk- skied on and hit the tree in <laughs> Tobago? Yeah, so
2: that, the first one was called Butternut, and then everything I've skied: Killington, Stowe, uh, Sun River, um, you name it. Pretty yeah, much
1: back
0: there. The I've done it. But your your entry into skiing was at Butternut. Is that in New York?
2: That's actually in southern Massachusetts.
0: Oh, okay. I'll have to check that out online when we're done. I, I have some friends who are, who uh, live and ski in New York, and um, there's these little areas that I, I trivia, and I think I mentioned on a previous podcast. New York has more ski areas than any state in the U.S. More than Colorado, and <laughs> <Isn't> that's something? <laughs> you bet. Yeah. Well, um, that's that's quite the quite the introduction to the sport. Yet you continued doing it despite the toboggan ride and all the falls.
2: Uh, I did. I started. Um learning from my friends that kind of gave me tips along the way and i just love the cold i love snow um i love the energy that being outdoors gives you um Uh and it's just continued throughout my life and i'm an avid skier to this day and will be hopefully in my 80s and 90s
0: great that is that is just a great story and it's great that you're that in touch with yourself that you were able to to like get through the major pain of that first day and and nothing like the old um uh, baptism by fire when your buddies sticky you on the hill without a, la- a lesson and you, <laughs> you just kind of have to figure out those slippery things under your feet well okay so you're living out here as you said in gig harbor washington the exact opposite coast where you started from how'd you get out here
2: So I got out here really for work. I worked for a little known company called Staples that competed against the Dunder Mifflins of the world, (laughs) selling paper and toner. Um, And we were expanding in the West coast and I've always had this draw towards the West coast primarily because of the bigger mountains and better skiing.
0: Oh wow. Okay.
2: And my first taste of that was at Salt Lake city at Snowbird where I had around two feet of powder and didn't know how to ski powder and I was physically exhausted but giddy like a little <laughs> schoolboy laughing all the way down the hill.
0: Isn't that so it only like when you're new to powder, all it takes is maybe one really memorable weightless turn to make you come back, even if you were soaked and exhausted from a long day of trying to figure it out. <laughs> Couldn't agree. Well that's Couldn't a that's more. one of my favorite resorts in the world. That's that's a winner. Well right. great. So when did you come out here?
2: So moved out west into um San Francisco area in Marin County in nineteen ninety-eight. Oh, okay. And then I started skiing a lot of um either um in um the Lake Tahoe area uh-huh, uh-huh. and/or um fortunate to have a lot of good college friends that we call our trip maybe not two PC, but it's winter ski mancation. And All we've right. been doing it for 30 one consecutive years
0: wow that is awesome i do a guy's trip also although for certain reasons the last couple years it's been rather small but that is really a cool tradition 30 how many years
2: 31 wow and we'll pick a resort somewhere in north america and then we've had as little as four people show up and have as many as 17 so
0: oh that's great oh wow 17 that must be a riot well, um, that's actually something I wanted to talk to you about. We might as well – let's start with the end of my little list of questions I had for you. Um, I've noticed because you've, you're great about sharing your experiences with the rest of us on Facebook and so forth. Um, I think I just happened off the top of my head to remember at least a couple trips you went on last year with some guys. I remember that early in the season you went to Revelstoke, and I remember later in the season you were in Jackson Hole, and you probably went on some others, not to mention all the local days um, in between what What's your plan this year i mean i'm I'm doing all I can to stay away from SeaTAC airport until you know the the vaccine's a little more in place and that sort of thing. Are you guys doing your guys'
2: trip this year? Yeah, so unfortunately we're taking a pass this year yeah. um, but to reflect back last year, I was very fortunate to be able to take a, a couple of trips and um, we did Revelstoke in December and then we did Big Sky in January and then in March was Jackson Hole. And that was the same weekend that COVID shut everything down.
0: Yeah, so I remember we, we had chatted because I missed you by one weekend. I was there the right. week before. Yes, or, I yeah. do remember. Yeah. Anyway,
2: um, getting out on that Sunday out of Jackson Hole was challenging, to say the least. Um, everyone was a little bit nervous, somewhat frantic, covering wow. their mouths. Um, wow. They closed down the mountain and just snuck, uh, you know, just in time to wow. get away. Wow. Um, huh. But then after that, I knew that everything was shutting down. So my next trip was the following weekend up to Rainier. And oh. we skinned up from Paradise up to around 9,100 feet. Oh, and wow. we did what we call a Nusqually shoot. So if you know the road from um, um, the lodge all the way to Paradise, there's a bridge called Nusqually Bridge. Okay. And in March, you can literally ski all the way down to the bridge, which is around sixty three hundred vertical feet. Oh,
0: no kidding! And wow. then you just
2: hike out of the bridge to the little parking lot, and then you do a shuttle um, service between that parking lot to pick up the car that was dropped off at the top of Paradise.
0: Oh wow! So you you probably well, I know you told me before we started recording that you heard the interview with Colin, and yes. I know that you're you're good friends with Colin and his whole family. Um, I haven't entered that world i have all the stuff i've just never done the you know the uh at gear and the you know using it and and skinning up and going to these places that are well beyond any lift service um have you done a lot of that
2: i i have and really it's it's a funny story because back in 2009 or 2008 um another good friend of mine peter bortel was over my house and I had kind of the dad weight on. I was probably tipping the scales at 248. I'm, I'm like a little under 6'1". And I realized, like, I'm really going downhill. I have to change my behavior. And how best to do it then to get into shape and started getting into the mountaineering kind of aspect of the world. At this point, I didn't own any AT setup. Um, so I set a goal for myself and kind of Peter challenged me and egged me on. Um, to Peter, do that or are you kidding
0: me? Come on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> i love that guy he's also competitive too <laughs>
2: yeah so we're, we're both pretty competitive and we both set a challenge to summit mount rainier with a bunch of of our other friends that joined us um but that really gave me a love of of mountaineering and then combining the love with skiing the next year in 2010 i started doing deep research on random a or um at skiing uh-huh. and i bought my first set uh back in 2010. And it was a Good. it was a, a set of black diamond, really light skis. They were like one sixty in length, eighty five hundred foot, um, a pair of scarpa super light boots and and Dina fit bindings. Um and then I got so excited and I used them and abused them. Um they became my rock AT skis and I got my next set in twenty sixteen. Okay. And this set was a little bit um, bigger. It was around 175 in length, 95 underfoot. They were called Blizzard Zero Gs, super light skis. Um, and I upgraded the binding to something called Marker Kingpin, which is as close to an Alpine binding you can get in an AT binding. Okay. Um, Super locked in and very easy to use. Um, and I continue to use Scarpa boots. I love Scarpa boots.
0: And they're light. Um, uh.
2: And then... Then I just realized, well, okay, uh, I'm skiing powder, but I'm sinking too much, so I need powder AT skis. So this year, (laughs) I got another set of what we call Blizzard um, uh, Rustlers, and they're 180, they're a little bit longer, they're basically oh, 110 underfoot, and then I bought a new pair of boots, then the same marker came from binding. So wow. everything is interchangeable now, at least in those two latest sets.
0: Oh, good. Well, I, I don't know much about that world, but I guess my question for you is, do you go up and skin up and, and get into the AT world during the middle of ski season when the lifts are open? Or is this something that you only do like after the lifts close for the year or before mm-hmm. they open?
2: So I do both, um, okay. but I'm doing much more backcountry now because of the challenge COVID has posed to the skiing community Yeah. and our inability to um, get a locked-in, confirmed spot um, yeah. into our local mountain here, which is Crystal.
0: Yeah, um, that's been. So tough. Yeah, to answer
2: your question, it, it's really a blend. If I can get in inbounds and the snow's good, great. If I got to go find powder, I'm more than happy to hike for it.
0: Oh, that's 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 exciting. I'll have to, I'll have to, uh, piggyback on you one of these days and, and figure out how to do it, how to make use of that stuff sitting in my garage. (laughs) So, um, so when you, you know, like if you're doing this in the middle of the season, let's say that next weekend you weren't able to get, uh, reservations at crystal and you, you wanted to go up and do it anyways. Do you have some go-to places that you like to go to, to, to do this? Or do you, um, uh, you know, set out to a new adventure each time?
2: Yeah, um, so the older I get, the more comfortable I feel with familiar places. But Fair I'm enough. also a, looking to expand my horizons as well. But I would say my go-to is Rainier because of the um, elevation of starting off at the low five thousand. You usually get better snow quality. Okay. It's also beautiful. The challenge yeah. with Rainier is the gate. Um, okay. And the gate at Longmire, if it doesn't open, because then it doesn't open, then you're kind of like screwed. Okay. So, um, then there is, in Crystal, there's some a lot of backcountry that's made available. There's the Gold Hills approach, and there's some other kind of approaches that you can take on the opposite ridgeline of the mountain itself. Um so like if you go up behind
0: gold hills there i know there's a couple routes to get up there back when i was in middle school and i'm sure some of our older listeners who are local would remember this there was a chairlift that went out of the the far like above lot b or not b excuse me c and it went up the east side there and um and you know but back in in seventh grade it was just a way to get over to the main area we didn't you know know that maybe it would have been a great place to you know, do yeah. some mountaineering, some some backcountry skiing and and so forth. Is that kind of where you're talking about going?
2: Yeah, exactly. There's one trail on the way up called Shoots and Ladders, which is a pretty steep aspect. But when you have skins on your skis, it's much easier to climb. Um, given the flotation and kind of the grippiness of those skis. So what you would never imagine doing without skins you can do a lot of climbing with skins, So okay. that's the typical approach I take until we hit the ridgeline.
0: And do you use the same skis inbounds?
2: I do. And people scratch their head at me and they're like, why are you using AT skis? You're not Alpine.
0: Uh-huh.
2: But again, there is a difference in AT quality of gear. Uh-huh. And the marker kingpin bindings, I will swear up and down. I can ski with the best of them inbound outbounds in terms of speed and feel confident. Oh, good.
0: Oh, interesting! Interesting. I just was sort of going along here, assuming you had a couple different sets for you know inbounds as well. But that's that's really neat that you're able to like combine forces and just have uh, one setup that you're. Well, it sounds like you have multiple setups, but but you know keep with the same type of gear for both types of skiing. Yeah. So, um, well, okay. So, have you been uh, in the backcountry yet this year?
2: Yeah, my last uh, backcountry tour was uh, this past Saturday. Um, and we did two loops up in gold Hills. I was with actually Bill Coughlin and Colin, the gentleman you mentioned earlier. And, uh, it was very nice day. We got, uh, two loops of eight inches of fresh powder. Um, and we were making our own trail and just having uh, a day of it. It was phenomenal.
0: Oh, that's great. So it was just you, Bill, and you said Colin as well. Correct. Oh, great! Well, one thing I've always admired about you, and I and I hope that you know, I, I wish this for for anyone who's in uh, you know into skiing or into spending time in the mountains. Um, is that you've got a, a you know I I've, I've bumped in you on the mountain biking trails nearby. I, I certainly see your posts, and I know we talk about skiing and that sort of stuff. But you got a great group of of uh, of friends, you know, that you're able to to do these things with and. And it makes it, you know, sort of an accountability thing, too, you know. So, hey, let's go skiing this weekend. And then you got no excuses to, you know, decide it's time to mow the lawn or something instead. It's uh, a core group of dudes that seem to have a lot of fun together.
2: Yeah, I feel very fortunate to have landed, um, given my my old age here, um, with a group (laughs) of guys that still like to get after it, Uh um, but are also smart enough to know, when not to push the envelope right i think that's an important aspect for anyone getting into the backcountry
0: i think so and i think um well colin's going through all the training so he'll be able to teach you guys what you don't already know and uh, pass that on and and what's kind of ironic there is he's the young guy (laughs) but um but you know it's it's gone beyond just a few guys getting together that you and and bill And Peter and and others have passed on to guys like Colin a passion for being in the outdoors I just think is amazing I just think that's awesome and and uh, I just think it's a great thing that you've been able to turn this into a uh, not just your thing but your family thing
2: you know it's yeah yeah it's funny Lance you bring it up because you know people would think well why do you need three sets of skis and that feels selfish but in reality I have two daughters that I have introduced to AT skiing and backcountry skiing and they are getting bitten by the bug and and their feet are just big enough. If they wear a really thick expedition sock, they'll fit into my two other sets. So now I can tour with my girls.
0: Oh, that's great. Oh, wow. How did they like it?
2: They loved it. Uh, Last time we went up, um, we celebrate something called White Friday. That is the day after Thanksgiving when most people stand in line or (laughs) sleep by plastic. We go to Rainier and we snowshoe and either like dig a snow cave and this time, I set up my two oldest daughters with at sets and we went up to Pan face and skied down it and got five inches of fresh powder and sun they had a great time
0: and they loved it too yep oh that's great well they 're both very athletic and and I know they love uh, you know hanging out with you and you guys have a great family and, and I just think this is it's wonderful stuff to have traditions like that, especially on a time when you could all go to the mall and go separate directions and come home angry. <laughs> so <laughs> it sounds like a better deal to me. So, well, tell me your thoughts on COVID era skiing. We've been covering little, you know, tips and stuff. It doesn't, I'm not necessarily looking for any tips, but um, what, what has struck you in this new and hopefully temporary era of uh, trying to get up to the mountain and uh, enjoying what you are obviously passionate about?
2: Um, Really good question. I, I think the most, thing that I'm awestruck about is how the resorts are really coping with this. And in all the blogs that I read and and clearly witnessing firsthand at Crystal, been very impressed with um, the safety precautions, the social distancing, Uh Um, they're very adamant about mask wearing when you're in line. Um, They've done hard outdoor plumbing to make it easier for anyone. To go to the bathroom at any time and right. um, i really really love the passion of the resorts that they are extending this during a lockdown period that uh-huh. people can still get outside and enjoy the outdoors
0: yeah well i mean it's not easy and they uh, as you just suggested with the bathrooms and so forth um and we've mentioned this in in some some back episodes over the last couple of weeks but um you know they as much as possible there's some learning by doing, but they they invested well this summer in their planning for an uncertain future. Um, it must kill them to have to have this, these gigantic, beautiful, well, one of them's beautiful, the other one's not so beautiful, lodges that are only useful for their kitchens and their bathrooms right now. Um, but, you know, I haven't been up on a rainy day. I've been up on a snowy day and, you know, I, I uh, uh, didn't eat I, I didn't eat the mountain food, but I used their uh, picnic tables and so forth. And yeah, you know, we got the job done. It's a little different. It's a new normal. And hopefully it's a temporary normal.
2: Yeah, agreed.
0: What do you think of? Um, what do you think of? Um, what what tips would you have for? You know, I, I think a lot of our we're we're actually hoping that a lot of our listeners are people maybe not quite the ski enthusiasts that you and I are people who, you know, I recognize this is a very expensive sport. It's more than a small game of logistics to get a, you know, station wagon or SUV full of four kids and a mom and dad up, up to the mountain for the day, not to mention the price. So I suspect that lots of people will get up one, maybe two weekends this year and so forth. And, and knowing that they that this is a different year what in what ways would you tell them to be proactive to plan ahead
2: um I think that 2021 is still going to be a year of uncertainty and yeah. I think we're going to be in this for quite a while certainly through the remaining portion of this ski season yes um Cabin fever is a real thing. I know it is for me, and I bet it's true for a lot of of your listeners. I would encourage you to get out. And if whether you're brand new to the sport or relatively new or a seasoned veteran, um, getting out and enjoying the outdoors is probably one of the healthiest things you can do from a balanced perspective. Mm -hmm. And if you're new, some some of the tips would be um, you don't need to come in at an expensive entry point. There's a lot of gear that is on sale, either through Craigslist or local community websites or even your friends' networks, skis that are sitting in garages that are going unused that need love. And there's no reason why you should go and buy a new setup if you're kind of learning or dipping your toe in the water into the sport. Uh Um, And that's certainly true for children that are growing, right? I mean, there's a huge community that just cycles through ski gear. Um, Right. from a cost perspective, that's, that's one tip. Um, I think as people gravitate towards the love of skiing and then the love of outdoors and hiking, they'll probably end up combining all three into the evolution of AT. Uh Um, I think that industry is literally taking off because of COVID. Interesting. I would continue to see that meteorite rise happen.
0: Interesting. Well, you know, I, I think the vast majority of our listeners were super, um, disappointed not in the mountains I think they made the right decisions and so forth to close down when they were not prepared um, for this whole thing back in March but you know disappointed from the standpoint of they're skiers they love to be in the mountains let's you know let's go do this thing and then then they couldn't so I'm loving hearing about the AT equipment and your experiences doing that Um, do you have any particular like uh, resources or training to recommend now that could range from like uh, avalanche safety courses down through YouTube posters?
2: Yeah, uh, absolutely. First and foremost, I think this is kind of number one on the list, and and that's the 10 essentials that you should always bring, um, whether you're hiking, snowshoeing, or in the backcountry. The 10 essentials are critical. Um, One of the things that I did in learning how to AT was um, I talked a lot to people that have been actively doing it and pursuing it. There's also a magazine, a, a periodical that's still print for those that read magazines called Backcountry, and this is a magazine which teaches you basic tips of how to turn, um, on a, you know how to skin properly, weight distribution, like basic things, basic blocking and tackling techniques, which I just you know became a human sponge and just got really into it and yeah. read a lot about it, and then going out and practicing those skills with friends. So okay. my rule of thumb is if I'm going to go to the backcountry, I don't want to go with just one person. I want to go with a minimum of two. Um, that sounds
0: sensible to me.
2: A group of three just in case. And then there's a law of diminishing returns. If you go with 20, it's like yeah. herding cats and right, right. all over the mountains. So.
0: Well, you know, and, and think about it. I think most people take for granted that there's a ski patrol out there. And if, you know, little 13 year old Chris Mayer hits a tree He's yeah. going to have the benefit of the ski patrol taking him down a toboggan. If just you and me go in the backcountry and I get hurt, it may be more than you can handle to get me out of there if it's something significant where I, I'm not mobile, you know. And yeah. so, yeah, I, I really like that, that advice of having three of you on point when you when you go up and do that just like you did last weekend well and good for you that you've got this amazing network of of recreation buddies that that i would imagine it's not hard to put together a team of three when you're when you're going out to, to do those sorts of things
2: yeah and I, I would also add though lance that um regardless of the conditions of the season whether it's late spring or a two-foot dump which we're actually expecting quite a bit of snow tonight yeah. um you've got to go And know how to use an Avi beacon, a Uh shovel, and a probe. You got to practice these skills. If you don't practice them, and you just have them with you, if something does happen, you've got to spring into action rapidly and work as a team. Yeah,
0: Yeah, I would. I mean, I I really enjoyed my conversation with Colin, and I'm so proud of him for following up with his initial experience skinning with the avalanche training that he's getting and. And I don't know enough about it to, to go so far as to say it's essential, but I sure the heck would feel better about people venturing into the back country with at least one other person who's been through all that kind of training.
2: I couldn't agree more.
0: Yeah. Great. Well, one of the, I, I guess from a, a big, big picture perspective, it sounds like your greatest tip for coping with COVID era skiing and, and the logistical issues it brings and, and that sort of thing is to be, to, to open your mind to diversifying to getting away from only in inbound skiing and uh, thinking about getting some at gear and nosing around on the internet and seeing what it looks like if i mean there's probably viewers or viewers listeners who don't even know what we're talking about so um, hopefully they can google it and see how they feel about uh earning their own turns and not having to buy a lift ticket
2: yeah i like that the statement earning your own terms in fact there's a a good friend of ours you might know him named jeff sala prior to him getting into the at setup he would hike with his alpine boots and his backpack on snowshoes with his alpine skis in an a-frame and hike up and then transition into his alpine skis. so you don't even need the AT setup if you have a love and a thirst for the outdoors yeah. and getting some fresh terms.
0: Right. Just do it safely. Yes. You know, learning about snow crystals and what it takes for those things to fall down and kill you is, is uh, you know, not something that could be understated. So overstated. Well, Chris, this has really been a great conversation. I um, really appreciate your time today. I really appreciate your perspective. It's always a blast talking to you and running India and, and, uh, you know, due to the COVID era, I know that I'm not bumping into you as much anymore, but I'm glad we we're able to be intentional to have this conversation.
2: Yeah, it's my pleasure, Lance. Thank you so much. And yeah. really looking forward to anytime you want to get out. Um, I'm always looking to expand the, the uh, skiing back on the community.
0: Yeah, well, I'm going to give our, um, our phone number in case any of our listeners have questions for you. Um, what I'll do is I'll invite them to, to leave a voice message at 253 260. 4577 for on the lift podcast and um if you say something on that recording that you would like that that we have permission to um to play go ahead just say that on there um and then we'll decide if we're going to use it or not we can get back to you if you leave a phone number to get the same sort of permission but if you just go ahead and say it it'll skip a step in the process and if you want us to call, us back, call you back, let us know. And if you have questions for Chris, I'll be sure that I forward them on to him and uh, we'll try and help you out. But again, Chris, thanks so much. And uh, appreciate all your, your time today. And this has just been a great conversation.
2: Yeah, thank you, Lance. And looking forward to seeing everyone on the mountain safely. And hopefully this COVID will pass.
0: All right. And so we are getting off the lift.
1: On the Lift Podcast is a production of Runaway Dumpster, LLC. Visit us at ontheliftpodcast.com, where you can listen to back episodes of the podcast. You'll also find show notes, feedback box, and our call-in number.